Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on the Athletic Podcast Network. From the Golden Gate to the New York Bay. What I have access to is a bit different than the public. Tamper with you. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam King, Anthony Slater, uh-huh. and Fred Katz. To be able to bring people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is stop talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Right or wrong. Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. Very <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to put in Kevin Durant. Trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. Tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Here's your host, Sam Amick. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, national NBA writer at The Athletic here with Anthony Slater, Warriors beat writer extraordinaire, and then some frequently also a uh, scribe who covers the Sacramento Kings, a team that we did not think we'd be talking about here in, what is it now, mid-April. We are going to get into all of the playoff action on this week's tampering naturally. Uh, but Slater and I both were at Warriors Kings game two last night. We're trying to be a little more fresh with the pod in terms of how quickly we drop it. So this particular conversation, I believe uh super producer, Andrew select said is coming out quick after we talk. So we're going to start on Warriors Kings and, and make our way out from there. Tonight's games. We have Hawk Celtics, Boston up one nothing in that series. Knicks Cavs, uh, our Fred Katz, Knicks beat writer, will hopefully join us later in the pod to talk about game two coming up, the, the Knicks out front and that series, and then Suns Clippers tonight as well. With the uh, this is up your 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 past life later, the Russell Westbrook Kevin Durant matchup. So we'll get into great all that. Great game one in that series. Great game one. Great game one. But but as was the case in that game when Russell Westbrook found his way into some back hall and had an issue. With a fan, uh, we are going to start, like I said, with Warriors-Kings. So many layers to this matchup. Uh, The one that is top of mind because we are, we'll see if we get kind of, you know, screwed for lack of a better way of putting it on the timing of the pod if a verdict comes out soon. But the Draymond Green stomp on Damana Sabonis in that game, you know, is the talk of of the night. Um, You know, Draymond... Uh, has his ankle grabbed, you know, and certainly the video makes that part very, very clear, you know, and then pulls it up, pulls it down, pretty good amount of force on Sabonis. You know, he's on the floor writhing in pain and taking his time to get up, and Kings are tending to him, and Draymond goes full WWE heel. I mean, he is up screaming with the fans, you know, don't have to be a master lip reader to figure out a few of the things that he hurled their way. Place is going crazy. Um you and I were there, you know, the basketball part of this, of course, Kings up to nothing, something we did not see coming. We both picked the Warriors in this series. Uh, man, thoughts from a, a crazy night for you. You mentioned Draymond, like post 
ejection, you know, during the review theatrics. I just one of the funnier parts and you know, I took a video, I put it up, but he's he jumps on the bench to like really go at the fans that are kinda in the section behind the Warriors bench. And like Steve Kerr is just kinda like wandering into the huddle. He's got his clipboard and he's kinda like, you know, waiting for the five guys who are gonna be on the court to sit down so he can, you know, write the names of the guys who are on the court and like maybe drop his his ATO or whatever he's gonna do and it's just I'm just curious what he's thinking in that moment because you can even see it in the video. He's sitting, he's sitting there, kind of right behind Draymond towards the end, you know, trying to pull this team to a one-one tie and like a, absolutely their most crucial moment of the season. He's probably, you know, at that point, I know one of his assistants had told him. He said he didn't see the play, but he's like one of the assistants said, "Hey, he's probably getting tossed." So I'm sure he's sitting there like, "Okay, who who are we gonna put in here?" Right. But as he's doing that, it's like the guy that you know, the as you mentioned, the WWE heel is standing where he's supposed to be talking <laughs> to his players, like you know, flailing his arms in the air, yelling at the fans. And I just wonder, like, what Steve Kerr's thought right there. I've had that thought about Steve a lot. And, and more in the past couple of years where right about the time you think you can handicap what his real thoughts are uh, and, and maybe a time when he's internally rolling his eyes at the Draymond experience and being exhausted by it, he'll come out publicly and convince you otherwise that, no, this is what we need. This is our guy. And, and he he's always, he knows both sides of the Draymond experience. I will say that in terms of uh, possible disciplinary action, I wrote that I didn't think Draymond would be suspended. I might be leaning back toward the other direction now that I've unpacked it the next day. The one part I didn't focus enough on in the piece that I wrote was that post-incident scene, right? Because in this day and age when fan interaction is, you know, continues to be an issue for the league, uh, I, I think it's safe to say the league is not going to be real happy with the way that he handled that energy. Because, of course, the crowd was upset, but there was no specific thing being done to Draymond to warrant, you know, going down that road. Um, it was more so that there was this lull because of Sabonis taking his time and the refs trying to look at it, that it was like, he just started feeling that negative energy from the crowd and, and didn't want to just, he just take wanted it to present a, like not a face of concern or, yeah. you know, true anger. It was more of like trying to lean into it, which he's done before. He did it out in Memphis last year. You know, remember whoop that trick. He was like waving yeah. the towels yeah. to that. It, it, it kind of reminded me a little of that um, to add Most the extra layer to what you're celebration talking about in the league, but that's an aside. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. To, Add to the layer that you're talking about of the league. What does the league think about it? I remember I'm looking out at half court as he's, um, this is the time he's almost doing like the hand to the ear. Who is that? Isn't that like Hulk Hogan or something? It was like hand to the ear. Yeah. Like, I can't hear you. Right. right as he's right. doing that, I look up. For, you got Vivek seat right where the TNT booth is. My eyes peer about four rows up and it's Adam Silver and like yeah, the, yeah. the group of NBA office people just watching, just watching Draymond Green do this. Well, all, not you know, only that. They're booing, but no, I mean, yeah, they had a front row seat to the action. Uh, Mike Bass, his top PR man from the league office was right by his side. Uh, Amy Brooks, one of the top NBA executives on, on the team marketing side, um, heavy hitters were in town. And one guy who I don't believe was at the game and I'll frame this to make sure that it doesn't come out the wrong way. I just, I'm a sucker for context. It is very interesting that the, the, the man who will ultimately make this choice is a guy in Joe Dumars, who is not only a former Kings executive 
who currently holds the NBA position of executive vice president, head of basketball operations. It's the old job that Kiki Vandeweghe had where come playoff time, every controversial situation crosses his desk and he decides what to do. Well, Joe is also extremely close with Draymond. As you know, he's, he's one of his mentors just coming up in that part of the country. Um, you know, certainly some connective tissue when you talk about the way Draymond plays and, and Joe being an incredible part of the bad boy Pistons, a lot of layers to that. And, and so, man, to be a fly on that in, in that room and to get some sense from Joe, how he sees this and see what he does would be really interesting. I will let you know from the Warriors side, they were like scoffing at the idea that he would get extra suspension because for a few reasons, they felt number one, um, it was acknowledged by the referees on the court and the league, you know, wh- whatever that Demonis Sabonis initiated it. Like, you know, he got a technical foul for the, the ankle grab. So there was some level of, of instigation. They felt number one, two, they felt that he was ejected from a huge game. And there was even people, and I know have talked in retrospect, feeling that maybe in past situations where Draymond was suspended, a lot of that was because in the game itself that it happened. I remember the Steven yep. Adams kick. He wasn't ejected in the moment. Um, he missed, you know, maybe the six most important minutes of the series in retrospect. You know what I mean? Like, that's a tie game down the stretch. No Draymond Green. I think there was that and the idea. There was a little bit like, they felt the theatrics from the King side of like the Demonis Sabonis injury, right? Leak that he's getting the x-rays, you know, he and everybody's on the x-rays. On, Draymond on had one court. on his ankle, apparently. Yeah, there was definitely a few people <laughs> like, well, he didn't seem too hurt in the last six minutes when he's hanging sure. on the rim, dunking late, you know, some right. of that. So I just think all of that combined, there was a lot of feeling in the Warriors locker room, like no way they can suspend him. Well, I, they may be wrong, but they didn't. No, think I so. hear you. And and there, I, I got some of that last night too. Draymond's camp, uh, it is safe to say, does not anticipate as of last night him being uh, suspended. And and even Kings people I talked to were probably leaning that direction. So we'll see. I, I should have mentioned, by the way, it kind of hit me as you were breaking it down. You called this shot, man. We're sitting there on press row. And did you not turn to me and say, yeah, Draymond needs to change the energy here at some point. He's he he's got to shift this thing the other way. I don't think this is what you had in mind, but you did. Well, say that. yeah, I mean, you never know the exact details of how he's gonna, <laughs> you know, light the room on fire. But um, you know, it reminded me a little. Were you at that Pelicans home game a couple weeks ago? When, uh, you know, no, a, no, no. I was. It was a big I'll game. You, you probably watched, it, but I wasn't there. Least. Yeah, yeah. Where they're look, they're down big in a yeah. big home game that felt like you know they yeah. lose. They're probably going to the. Plane. I was watching. Yeah. And he just decided, you know, he felt like they were playing terrible, which they were. And he just needed to just like juice everything up. And he teetered on the edge of ejection in that game. And remember, there was like a a situation under the hoop. They ended up having to review. He already had one technical for scuffling with Brandon Ingram. He almost gets a second for uh, a scuffle with Herb Jones that was more kind of after the play theatrics. You know, some people were trying to say he kicked Herb Jones. The referees decided no, no penalty for that. He stayed in the game. Uh, and then they come back, came back and won because, to be honest, like he really did fire up his team. And that you mentioned Steve yeah. Kerr. That was one of those games, post-game. He's talking about, like, he's our fire. We need it. We have a lot of skill. We need the heart. We need the roar of Draymond Green. Um, but that's always on the edge. <laughs> you know, we've had this conversation several times over the years. And I just felt last night he... I think was very much part of them climbing back in it, right? You know, they're they're in a good place when he gets ejected, in part because I just think their energy changed. They went smaller. They went more defensive-minded. They were good to start that fourth quarter, down eight, 
And I, I don't remember what the exact score is when he got tossed, but, you know, they're tied in the middle of the quarter. Um, right. Because I think he was trying to do that, you know, lay that same strategy down there. But the problem is when you teeter on the edge, when you're kind of doing some of that type of stuff, maybe to tick off the other team, maybe to just fire yourself up, you might accidentally step too hard on somebody. You know what I mean? No doubt. Uh, quick side story on that Pelicans game. A little irony there. I That particular day, and this is a writing process story that you can certainly relate to, I wanted to write about the Kings clinching a playoff berth finally. And if you remember a Warriors loss that night would have clinched it for the Kings. I was on about three hours sleep from a game the night before, uh, was desperately hoping the Kings would not clinch that night because I, I wanted another day to figure out what the hell I was going to write. So I was home watching that Pelicans game and they're down 20 and I'm thinking to myself, man, you're killing me, Warriors. I, I you know, We normally don't care who the hell wins, but selfishly I did that day. So when, uh, when Draymond... Turn things around. I was a, a happy athletic writer, and uh, and ended up writing the next day. Um, we should we should probably discuss like how good the Sacramento Kings are playing. Like, you think? Is, yeah, you're trying to make sure the Kings Nation doesn't jump on us. Yeah, I mean, give well, me your take. I mean, look, they they're up two zero on the defending champs, and 100%. they're a team that you you mentioned in the lead in. Like, if you, before the season you just told them like they get one home play in play in game, that might have been like okay, like that that's a good step. We'll take that. Like. They currently they just like dominated in a lot of ways the Warriors in two straight home games and now look like the clear favorite to advance to the second round where they might get the Lakers like this is this situation is something it's it is bonkers I'll I mean I'll I'll for the sake of good dialogue and debate here I'll push back a little bit I mean dominated's a little strong they you could flip it the other way and say they they looked dominant at times and then you look up and the Warriors are right there. Um, I, I don't remember two games, you know, w- like these where both sides can sit there and break it down and find all kinds of things to be hopeful about. You know what I mean? Well, this guy didn't have it going. We'll fix that. And, and, and but it's in both directions, and you don't get to any clear conclusion. I think, in in terms of observations and takeaways on the King side, and I did write this. Like, what blows me away is that when you're talking about poise and composure and competitiveness and grit and cohesion and all those things that matter a lot, this time of year, the the Kings are not just holding their own, they are winning. And they are, you know, more specifically, since we focus so much on Draymond, a little thing that I found so interesting last night, talking to folks on the Kings side. You know, you got all these Warriors ties. Mike Brown, former Warriors coach. Leandro Barbosa, former Warrior. Harrison Barnes, Luke Laux all the way down the line. And this group knows the Warriors incredibly well, knows Draymond incredibly well. Well, there's clearly like an unofficial edict within their team of do not put gas on the Draymond fire. So they are turning the other cheek. They are playing ball. They are competing. They are trying to to do all the little things that lead to playoff victories while also showing what, you know, for Steve Kerr and Mike Brown, they're, One of their mentors, Greg Popovich, had coined the phrase appropriate fear. They drop it all the time. The Kings are showing appropriate fear of the Warriors and their execution and and all the things that we didn't think they had because they had no experience together in the postseason. So far, they are showing. Yeah. You know, they, the defense last night, the ball pressure, uh, the fact that Davion Mitchell could stay on the floor because he hit some jumpers. And you at one point to me during the game, he I think he hit like a mid-ranger 
early and you were like, hey, he's been pretty good offensively lately. And I'm like, yeah, but they're still not going to respect the jumper. So it creates the same spacing problem, which makes me skeptical he can stay on the floor. But I think Mike Brown has kind of leaned into the like he doesn't always have, you know, you're not seeing much Keegan Murray, who's one of their best floor spacers because he just doesn't seem ready defensively. Um and he's he's played a little bit more Alex Lynn than you'd expect. Played more Davion Mitchell, who again was good on Steph. Did not stop Steph last night, but bothered him enough. Uh, and then Malik Monk. It's not just hey he's scoring off the bench. It's like a high level energy picking up full court. He's not some elite defender, but he's just they're bothering actions. I think they've scouted the Warriors very well because you know three of their coaches. You know you can add Luke Laux and Leandro Barbosa into it. Were in the Warriors room they they understand what the Warriors want to do their pet actions all that um and even Sabonis I mean obviously at times he's getting picked on and, and brought up uh you know to the level of the screen but I just think he's he's trying very hard and that's the thing Fox quick hands how did the game start two of those quick steals Harrison yeah. Barnes another name I know we might read a story in the athletic from Sam Amick about Harrison Barnes in the next Indeed. couple of days he is bringing some juice you know his, his his hands are everywhere he's guarding well two big dunks last night like this isn't just some pretty you know three point bombs away type team they went nine of 32 from three last night but one because of defense really you hit on something really interesting there. You mentioned Keegan Murray, uh, 15 minutes in the first game, 16 in the second. And and you're dead on about why that has been the case. Um, because Mike Brown, and I think you got to tip your, your hat to him in this regard, knows playoff basketball and he, and he knows the type of two-way toughness it takes to win these games, even with a team that has been bad defensively all year long. You know, if I was Keegan and I'm looking for – uh, kind of an inspiration right now or or somebody whose example I should follow, I would look to their, you know, the one they like to call the red velvet or whatever the hell they call Kevin Herter. You know, Herter gets out there, his shot's not falling. I think at one point he was 0 for 9 for the series, um, midway through game two on threes. And and that's obviously his scoring, his range is what he's known for. But he has two blocks early, couple boards, defensively scrapping, fighting, doing just enough to not lose Mike Brown's faith, to stay in the game, and then eventually the shots start falling. You know, the Davion thing, I wrote after game one, you know, some of my skepticism that while I admire De'Aaron Fox's willingness to chase Steph Curry all night long, it feels like a losing battle over the course of an entire series because of De'Aaron's load offensively. And so, you know, plenty of that in game two, De'Aaron getting after it defensively, but but Davion Mitchell on a playoff stage because he does seem to be pretty composed, pretty confident, pretty tough. Like that's how you survive some of the Steph Curry minutes is applying that pressure. Um, and Mike so far is, uh, is getting the best of the coaching matchup. Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, we could flip it to the Warriors side of things. They go back to San Francisco, they're down to, Oh, they need to solve some rotational trouble that they're having. I mean, last night, um, they are to the point. Jordan Poole, who, by the way, you know, Clay Thompson said it post game. I believe he said um, Poole's like I think he said he was like playing on one leg, which seems like it's a little of an exaggeration. But you know, Jordan Poole sprained his left ankle in game one was questionable. He he played all eighty two games this season. He usually really pushes through if he can, um, but it was a very much a question mark. I saw him pregame like you know with a long meeting with Rick Celebrini, almost 
looked like he was trying to convince Rick Celebrini he was good to go, but he does not look like himself offensively. I think he was limited to like you know 15, 16 minutes last night, like one of seven. He had that one pass where he just chucked it in the crowd. He just didn't look comfortable. Um, right. So so he's kind of been minimized from the rotation. Andrew Wiggins starts last night. You didn't see much Dante DiVincenzo. None of those two in the fourth quarter. No Jonathan Kaminga in the second half at all. He only plays four minutes. Um, you know, Kerr basically you know, trims it down really in the fourth to like kind of like a seven man rotation. You're still going to play Looney with the starters, but Moses Moody suddenly showed up like Steve Kerr searching. I mean, you mentioned the uh, coaching, like who's winning the coaching battle right now. I mean, one guy, and this is usually happens when the team wins, but one guy looks very secure in his rotation decisions right now. Like even Alex Lynn, who before the series, if you told me they're playing Alex Lynn, I'm like, you know, what is Mike Brown doing? Right. <laughs> It's working. They're plus. He's made yeah, impact, I don't know what the man. exact number is. He's been pretty good. Yeah, he's been pretty good. I think Mike Brown smartly has only played Alex Lynn really in the non-Curry minutes. It's much easier to survive against the Warriors with the backup big if he does not have to face the Steph Curry action, right? Um, but on the other side, yeah, like Steve Kerr's like Moses Moody dust off the cobwebs. You're playing in the fourth quarter of right. this huge game. So, right. uh, yeah, be the the Warriors are on their heels. The the Kings have knocked them back. That's a surprise to many. I think pretty much ninety five percent of the series predictions I saw were Warriors in six. For those to come true, they would have to sweep the next four. Right. I don't think. I mean, honestly, people who pick the Kings, uh, Bobby Marks, friend and colleague from ESPN, pick the Kings. He comes to mind. Uh, I don't know that I saw anybody else other than you know maybe folks in Sacramento talking about it. Did anybody come to mind for you prediction wise? That pick Kings? Correct. Um, no, oh, not that I Andrew can says I mean, Zach Harper did. How many games, Andrew? Look at our Zach Harper out in front. From Sacramento, by the way. He's a homer. <laughs> in six? <laughs> wow, there you go. Yeah, and, you know, look, this is this is a lot about the Kings, but it's also a lot about the Warriors. You know, like, these were bad habits built over a bad season by them. They were high in turnovers. They were tops in the league in fouls they couldn't close games on the road and obviously everybody knows their road record you know it was 11 and 30 well now they're 0 and 2 on the road they didn't close either game De'Aaron Fox lit them up down the stretch because De'Aaron Fox this season proved to be a, a great player in the clutch and the Warriors couldn't close games on the road and guess what the Warriors did last night 22 turnovers 26 fouls this is who they were all season where a lot you know if we were just not judging the Warriors on their history and judging them on the season, then these two games kind of make sense, right? You know, they're the lower seed. They're on the road. All their flaws showed up that we've seen all season. Uh, In a moment, we're going to take a break and bring our guy Fred Katz on to talk Knicks Cavs. But I do want to finish on the Warriors Kings front here, Slater. I know it's early. We're not, we're not sending the Warriors off to pasture by any means in this series, but I do wonder your perspective on the general idea that you know the Warriors going to Game Three, knowing in terms of the greater stakes here, that like we've written about all season long, talked about all season long, you have this potential last dance component to what they are experiencing right now. I know Steve has pushed back on it, but with Draymond's contract decision coming up, um, some other stuff like Bob if Myers, they get Bob Myers uncertain future. They if they get bounced in the first round by the once lowly Sacramento Kings. Um, there is going to be uh, some tough conversations with Joe Lacob and that group when it comes to paying that luxury tax bill. Um, how do you how do you see that? 
Yeah, I th- and I've said this all along, all season, is people, you know, I think want answers in March, answers in February. What's going to happen after the season? It's A lot of it has been, let's see how it ends. If it ends in, in another NBA cha- you know, championship, they're probably bringing it all back together. Even if it ends in the West Finals, second round in a deep series against the Suns where they look like a legit contender still. Well, Joe Lacob will pay for a legit contender. But Joe, I was watching Joe Lacob, you know, sporadically last night. He's sitting baseline both of these first two games, and they have him right next to this legend section of Kings during game one. He's sitting next to Bobby Jackson. Um, gosh, Jason Williams was over there. Yesterday he was sitting next to Vladi and Peja Stojakovic, and he's I don't want to say pouting, but he's over there. You know, he's just doing his Joe Lacob like stewing. He can't help himself. He's watching his team lose, and he's he's huffing and puffing. And I just think them going down easily to the Kings in the first round, and we have no idea where this is going. But if it goes that way, if it's like a five game series or something like that, and then he's staring into the offseason at you know Clay Thompson handout, wondering if he can get a max. You know, Draymond Green trying to figure out his future and a future that he wants to be highly paid with the Warriors. Bob Myers is kind of looking around. And Joe Lake saying, I only got two home games, let's say maybe three. Didn't get much money with the playoff gate that they rely on. The you know tax bills going insane next year. And oh by the way, the new CBA is going to penalize us, you know, X amount more in all these different ways if we have this type of tax bill. I think that very much makes him more skeptical on holding it together from a financial standpoint, which means I think Diff various heads. I don't know if you want to say heads will roll, but I just think it looks much different if they go down easily to the Kings than if they respond the next two games, win the series, get to the West Finals at least, and look like they yeah. can. Co- everyone can convince each other, hey, we could make a run next. No, Slater. My final point there would just be um, that I think Bob Myers uh, is is you know ready to get back to Chase Center, regardless of the big picture. Uh, I assume you saw this video of. The cowbell uh, getting rung in his ear in like violent fashion for a long time. Violent fashion and pretty good poker face, whatever you want to call him. Bob Myers did not <laughs> flinch as it is just God. getting rattled. And bo- it was like right ear, right ear, right ear. Okay, he's not responding. Let's go left ear, left ear, left ear. Good composure. I mean, you were there the night that that I had a, a guy yelling at me in the OKC game six Warriors game back in the day. You know, and I, and I turn around and we had words. Bob, Bob's a better man than me. That, that Sam Amick would have boiled over like a teapot. Sam, like that was actually was your over. neighbor bringing that cowbell. No, you fine. You want it, Fred? First of all, you jump on. We don't get to introduce you. You're here. We're going to take a break in a second. But now I'm going to give you everything behind the scenes of tampering. I just had to jump off the pod. True story, because. Neighbor John, who's a big Kings fan, who last night decided to go to the Kings game with his father. Actually, very cool. His dad had never been to the arena. They go to the game. They have a great time. And he picks impeccable timing as we do the pod to literally walk to the front window of my home and instigate my dog with his light the beam Kings sword. And the dog starts barking. And that's what the hell I'm dealing with here in Sacramento. Well, honestly, you know what? He should be that. Kings Kings fans should be should be doing whatever the hell they want right now. They should and they then, should just be so happy, constantly celebrating. And if that <laughs> means ruining Sam Amick's life, then that's just what you have to do. That's the reason we have Sam Amico. You can ruin Sam Amick. Wow. You get Amico. Holy and you're We're getting fine. personal. The and then the he proceeds thing. to instantly text me and say, instigating like Draymond Green. So there it is. All right. We are going to take a break. Uh Fred. I know we've been West Coast heavy on this series or on this pod, but but you got a good little series back east. So we're going to talk 
Knicks-Cavs when we get back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, gentlemen, we are back. The entire band back together. Fred had to do the most important parts of his job this morning, providing top-level Knicks coverage for all the athletic subscribers. Fred, I hope those interviews went well. Look forward, as always, to your latest work. Um, You got a game, two coming up tonight. Your Knicks take the opener. Your Knicks have Julius Randle talking about fans being back together. You know, Jalen Brunson, the whole gang. Tom Thibodeau, who, by the way, out of respect, we should share. If you haven't seen the Athletics Anonymous player poll that was published today, uh, talk about a, a heck of a, a, a kind of dichotomy. Tom Thibodeau has his team playing well in the first round of the playoffs. I think probably will get some second-level Coach of the Year votes. Has done a great job this season. But according to NBA players everywhere, the, the 108 who we talked to for the poll, like far and away, the coach you would least like to play for. But... Fred, he's doing something right, um, and and these Knicks are in a good spot. What are you seeing? Well, he's Tibbs is a maniac. I think mm-hmm. Tibbs will be the first person to tell you that. Um, this is a direct quote from Tibbs. Winning is more fun than fun is fun. <laughs> that is an exact Tibbs quote. It's an amazing <laughs> quote, and it's so on brand, but it makes sense. Look, part of putting this team together and part of the reason that they're good is because they've made a conscious effort to go get guys who are Tibbs guys. You know, uh, they traded for Josh Hart knowing that, you know how they say, oh, that she's a mother and she just doesn't have a child yet. Josh Hart was a Tibbs guy and he just didn't have Tibbs yet. Like it was everybody knew that Josh Hart would just fit in perfectly. And those are the types of personalities, those sorts of gritty, play hard, try hard guys that they've tried to put together. Quentin Grimes likes playing for Tibbs because he likes playing for a really hard playing coach. And the most important one is Jalen Brunson, who, uh, you know, one of the big reasons that Brunson signed with the Knicks was because he wanted to play for Tibbs because his his dad played for Tibbs when Tibbs was an assistant coach with the Knicks in, in the 90s and early 2000s. And uh, Jalen Brunson has known Tibbs since he was like literally five years old and wanted to play for him. And Brunson is a very Tibbsy sort of guy in that he'll be unable to walk and still do whatever he can to try to take a charge. So they've put together a lot of those personalities. They're really gritty. They play really hard. I thought it was really telling that basically all of the Cavaliers postgame comments after game one were, well, they came out really physical. We didn't realize you could be so physical and be able to get away with it. We have to be more physical in game two. It's like, that's what the Knicks are. And that's what the playoffs are. And you mesh those two together and they're, if they're going to win, it's because they're trying to beat the crap out of you on both sides. They just play a really physical brand of ball. What did you see from Randall uh, with that ankle injury in mind? He's seven of 20 from the field, 19 points, 10 boards, four assists, minus eight overall. Uh, Been out for, for a quick minute. What did you see there? He definitely didn't look like all the way like himself. I mean, there's no question about that. He he came out firing. 
He had a really good first half. He had 16 in the first half, which was great for them because Brunson was in foul trouble and only played nine minutes in the first half. And they really needed that offense on a day where they just, they weren't scoring. They weren't getting anything out of quickly. They weren't getting anything out of RJ Barrett and and Randall stepped up in the first half. Uh, He only had three in the second half. I, I didn't think his defense was fantastic. When I go back and rewatch the game, there were there were a number of plays where, especially in the in the third and fourth quarter, where the Cavs put Randall on a pick and roll, and Randall actually goes to the right place, but his hands are just at his side. So Mitchell pops a pops a pull up three or something like that, and and that happened a couple of times in the second half. Uh, I, I just I didn't think he was you know dominant or anything like that, but there's no question that his presence helped. He came up with a huge offensive rebound at the end of the game to seal it. Uh, and, and for him, he says, it's not a pain tolerance thing anymore. He says the ankle's fine. It's just conditioning. You could see that like they pulled him less than five minutes into the game, which is a very weird rotation. Randall's like known for going off in first quarters and often he plays the whole period. So he's got to kind of get his conditioning back. And I imagine once he does that, uh, he, we might start to see the, you know, the Julius Randall we're used to. 101 97 low scoring, um, what did you like? What generally did you take away from the game? Was that like obviously it's a great for the Knicks to go on the road and steal game one? Did that spell to you like, oh, the Knicks have complete control of the series, or do you just think this is going to be one of those slugfest? Doesn't matter what arena it's in, it could go either way any night. Isn't it fun that like the Knicks, the Knicks, Cavs, and the Kings, Warriors are are I think definitely the two best first round series in the league. And Clippers Suns has an argument. Clippers Suns has an argument, but I, I would I would genuinely put those two. Like we don't have any two. writers from those teams on this pod. Fred yeah. is trying to elevate. <laughs> yeah, this I'm saying we're like <laughs> we're like uniquely qualified to cover the two best series between the three. Actually, of us we're really. uniquely qualified to cover Suns Clippers. We got everything. We got all That's this history true. with the OKC guys. I you know we're, we're good there too. There you go. I grew up a Clippers fan. I can talk your ear off about that 0506. I always forget that part. That's such a Yeah, I grew up a Clippers fan. I got one good year. The the 0506 Clippers. They they came one game away from the Western Conference Finals, lost to the Suns. It's a very depressing game. What one of the weird parts of this job is like you grow up and there's still a little kid in you. And I don't root for the Clippers at all anymore. But Elton Brand was my favorite childhood player. And and like just like talking about that 0506. Clippers team and that Sun series with Elton Brand at different points in my job is it's just like, wow, twelve year old Fred would would really be enjoying this. But anyway, you're, you're gonna your new nickname is East Coast Bomber. That's who you are. <laughs> <laughs> if only I could spend like East Coast Bomber. Um, Real quick, anyway. Fred, let me dive in. Um, we talked so much about Warriors Kings crowd in Sacramento. I'm just wondering um, what it was like in Cleveland. I mean they have not done this without LeBron. It's a pretty, pretty amped up group in general. I, I like their crowd when they're not, you know, the, the Miami reunion. Can I just quickly, before he answers that, I, uh, the whole, like they haven't done it without LeBron thing. I always think is like, it's so weird how much that's, it's like, okay, the Spurs didn't do it without Tim Duncan for 25 years or whatever. Like LeBron Are you defensive very, for Larry Nance senior. Well, I just like, it? like it's like, it's comparative to the Kings drought because it's like this. Oh, without LeBron, like it's an identity. LeBron James, thing. You had him for X amount of years. Like, yeah, those were your glory years. Like, I don't know. It I agree with Slater. I'm I'm about to make a significantly I actually completely agree with you and I'm about to 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 call your somewhat hot take and raise you to a very hot take since Sam asked about the crowd. Is this all in defensive Brad Dougherty? 
He's about to cook the crowd. No, this is this is gonna this is gonna piss off people. There is no arena in the you know us. We travel a lot. We've been to every arena in the league. We've watched basketball games at every arena in the league. There is no arena in which I enjoy watching a basketball game less than Cleveland. It is the seat is not very good, but the seat's not good in MSG. That's not even what I'm talking about. Fred's getting personal. What are we talking about? The 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 PA is so unnecessarily oh, yeah. loud. Yeah. The crowd sound that they pump in is yeah, so unnecessarily true. loud. That's true. It's a Cleveland's a great sports town. Like they have great Philly fans across the board. Philly has this problem too. Yeah, they have great fans across the board. I love it when a crowd gets loud as hell. That Kings environment is crazy. MSG is fun. Like crowd should get as loud as it wants. That's fun. When you're just like pumping in Dana. When guys are walking up the court and it's so loud that you can't even have a conversation with the person sitting next to you, that is not an enjoyable experience. And I cannot stand watching a game in Cleveland because it actually hurts my ears. Uh, Slater, I will say, you know, one of the things I was going to relate to the Kings, to the question that you asked, one of the things that I think is is interesting with, with Nick's Cavs, I think it's going to come down to the same thing that we've seen Kings Warriors come down to, which is that like, I think whoever wins the possession game in this series is going to win the series. And that's ultimately what it's going to be. Uh, you know, we've seen the Warriors just like they don't have enough to make up for the fact that they're getting killed in the possession game. They, they're turning it over on 18% of their possessions, which is inexcusably high if you're not going to have like, you know, peak Steph Curry, peak Clay Thompson to make up for it. And the Kings are getting 37% of available offensive rebound. Attempts, By the way, is, the Kings, not even a good offensive rebounding team, are yeah. killing the Warriors on the yeah. glass. Yeah, and they're annihilating them. Like, they're not just – 37% is not just a lot. Like, that that would be Alex by Lynn, far – That would be by far <laughs> the most in the league. Like, that, that is that, – that might be that might be the most of all time if that were belong to a team. Like, that's just – you cannot win a game. You're turning it over 18% of your possessions, and then you're giving it back when you make them miss on 37% of those possessions, you can't win games like that. If they're going to be close, like that's what determines it. And I think with the Knicks and Cavs, we're going to see the same thing. And to me, the ultimate battle is going to be can Cleveland, which plays with two bigs in Mobley and Allen and is so good as a rim protection team. And so people think of them as this kind of big brawny team. Can Cleveland keep the Knicks off the offensive glass? Uh, because Cleveland isn't actually a great defensive rebounding team. You can push Mobley around, and the Knicks did that in game one. And if Allen is – Allen played a ton of minutes. They played their four really good players a ton of minutes in game one. But if Allen sits, the Knicks have an opportunity to just crush the offensive glass. I talked about how the Kings over the first two games have gotten 37% of possible offensive rebounds. Well, the Knicks got 42% of possible offensive rebounds. 42% of the time that they missed a shot in in game one, they got a second chance opportunity, which is just a crazy number. Uh, we'll see what happens with Josh Hart's health moving forward because he was a big part of that. He had five offensive boards. But the Knicks all year, their offense has been dependent on winning the, winning the possession game, not turning it over and getting offensive boards. And I think that's going to be huge in this series. Gentlemen, uh, very, very good stuff. I do think we should attempt to make the rounds because it's first round is obviously there's so much action going on. We can't cover all of it, but uh, I do want to try to to jump to some of the other series. And I am going to try to get your quick thoughts on uh, let's let's go to Lakers Grizzlies. Um, that game is 
coming up this evening, I believe. Is that correct? Accurate? Uh, I don't know. No, I'm sorry. I don't know. That's tomorrow. Yeah. All right. Party fell there. All right. That's tomorrow night, which is fine. Uh, The John Morant uh, x-rays came back. um, No broken bones. A lot of pain. Um, His messaging post-game after game one made you feel like he was out for quite some time. We'll see if he plays in game two. Um, these Lakers that, that, you know, Fred tried to keep them down, told me I couldn't even talk about them for the entire season. I mean, I had to pay hard-earned money that the Athletic is nice enough to give me into a swear jar if I talked about the Lakers. What do you say now, Fred? Look at these Lakers. They're they're scaring the Grizzlies. Here they come. You want to hear even worse, Sam? I did, I did like, picks predictions with a friend, and I picked the Lakers before hey, the Hey, look that's at how, that. That's how terrible I've got. That's gotten. growth. That's maturity. <laughs> That's true. I mean, look, I think Memphis not having Steven Adams just stands out so much to me because when their half court offense bogs down, the thing that saves them is, man, I I am just I'm just hitting the same notes on this podcast over and over, which is Steven Adams, if he is on the floor, you are going to be the best offensive rebounding team in the NBA. Like that is just how. That is the level of offensive rebounder Steven Adams has gotten. And when that half-court offense bogs down, being able to have all of those extra bites at the apple is really great for a team like Memphis, especially when you have some shooters who can really stroke it like like Desmond Bain and you kick back out the jacks and that kind of stuff. And, and, And offensive rebounds can be great extra opportunities for threes. And, man, it's just I just think not having Steven Adams is because he's he's not one of the main three guys. I think not having Steven Adams has been a little bit overlooked for them. Brandon Clark, too, another one of their huge offensive rebounders. I, I think that's like that's that's a thing that really worries no, me. No, it's huge. It's huge. And the Lakers' depth, and I mean, I, I said to someone the other day that, you know, the Rob Palenka praise is something that, that we haven't uh, anticipated, uh, but he had a, a hell of a deadline better late than never adding depth to this team. And Hachimura is out there having big games and and LeBron and AD don't have to be supermen to, you know, for them to win. And the defensive identity is is definitely something that is playoff convenient, if you will. Um, but let me frame it this way, because we're not going to do, you know, dive in deep. I have on quick each thoughts on the Grizzlies. Yeah, I was going to say, they, but, but favorite. You mentioned go ahead, Slinka having a good deadline. I just think the Grizzlies had a bad summer. You know, they gave up Kyle or they let Kyle Anderson go. They traded DeAnthony Melton. Um, you know, obviously now they don't have Clark here or Adams. And I, you know, I was talking to Warriors people yesterday about the series, and they're like, Yeah, you know, they were dangerous against us without Jaw. When Jaw went out, they still were a big threat. But it was like, Yeah, but they went big with with Adams and Clark, and they had DeAnthony Melton, they had Kyle Anderson. That's suddenly like, you know, Santi Aldama, David Roddy. Like, I just I just think at a time when you felt like they were ready to speed into contention, I don't think they put the throttle down. Go ahead, Sam. No, I agree. Well, you already kind of answered. I was just going to just say, you know, give me give me one major takeaway from each of these series, and that's a very good big picture one. Austin Rivers is going to get money this summer. There's Rivers or takeaway. Reeves there. Don't be giving well, money so, yeah, to the so, wrong person. Austin Rivers is not going to get paid. <laughs> Austin Reeves is going to get paid this summer. I don't think it was Austin Rivers screaming, I am him. <laughs> I think Austin Rivers has done that before. Yeah, he's he might probably, have a big three in, in his. Yeah. Austin Rivers does that, that every morning when he gets up and looks in the mirror. Absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm so intrigued to see what the Grizzlies do defensively if Rui keeps hitting jumpers because it's very clear that their their offense their defensive strategy was we're we're helping off Ruby Rui we're taking away the paint we're going into the lane and if Rui hits threes so be it 
and he hit threes like crazy. What did he shoot in that game? He was five for six from deep and 11 for 14 in the game. And, and I'll tell you what, when the Wizards made the playoffs in 2021, a team that absolutely nobody remembers that made the playoffs except for me. They played Philadelphia in the first round, and I think even Philadelphia forgets that the 2021 Wizards made the playoffs. They were the eight seed, they were 34 and 38, and they got eliminated in the first round. And when the Wizards came away from that series, the first reaction, I would say, from that entire organization was, hey, at least Rui looked really good in the playoffs. Rui, Rui had some really strong games. He had a big game four, I think it was, against uh, against Philadelphia when they had a win. He looked really comfortable with the speed of the game. Philly, that was a huge team, and the Wizards were undersized and under-talented and all those things. But Rui started to play a little bit more physical. Um, and that's all I was thinking about when I saw I was watching him go for 29 the other night. And I was like, man, like, I don't know. There's 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 something that like the the Wizards well, were we're talking about how calm he was, how composed he was, and how good he looked as a young player. And now I'm like, hey, he did it again. No, he looked good. And I was going to say it, it takes all kinds. And and I do sometimes mostly enjoy the Grizzlies leaning into their own little heel act, you know. Um, but I do question, you know, Desmond Bay in post game, like they just can't. None of those guys can help themselves, but to consistently jab be irritants, you know, with their messaging, with their talking points, with how they carry themselves on the court. And Desmond talking about Rui, I mean, he just was throwing shade left and right. He goes, well, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but he, he had the best game of his life and we'll see if he can do it again. And, you know, that was their game plan. And and not that it's like, oh, you're going to you're going to wake up Rui. Um, but but it's just a, a strange way to frame it when your team is in I, a tricky spot. I get it, though, Sam. Like, I I get that. But at the same time, like, I get what you're talking about from an optics perspective, but at the same time, like he's right. Like Rui shot 32% from three this year. He's, he's okay from the corners. He hit a a few of those threes from the wings where he's normally not good. Like you can't take away everything. And when you're playing against the team that has LeBron and AD, you have to try to take away the paint. And that's what Memphis really wanted to do first and foremost. So I think they're going to keep giving Rui those shots. Like, I don't think just because sure. he had a big game, all of a sudden they're closing out hard on Rui. I, I think agree. they're going to keep giving him those shots. And this series is is like one of the things, one of the many things it could come down to is like, is he going to hit them? Is Troy Brown going to hit them? Like, they're going to help off of those guys. All right, I'm going to, the other the other two series tonight, because I had my scheduling wrong, you know, Hawks, Celtics, uh, I think we're going to skip over that one. It looks like Atlanta is overmatched, not surprisingly. We'll see if they if they get one uh, tonight. Suns Clippers um, belief level quickly from each of you guys on whether or not the Clippers can actually get this job done. It's only one game, but man, you know the you know quintessential Russell Westbrook game, three of nineteen shooting, um, you know, but hustle all over the place. Some incredible defensive plays late. Ty Lue trying his best and and so far to with some success to absolutely support Russ and and kind of find that vibe and that dynamic that Russ never got with the Lakers um, and they get the job done. But Kawhi with no Paul George and, uh, and these sons losing their first game since they shared a court with Kevin Durant was, uh, was, was pretty stunning. You, you know, what do we think happens next year? If, if I showed you guys that, that just that film and we're like, what are your takeaways? Like you'd never seen Russell Westbrook or any, you know, play before you're like that's a, that's a top 10, 
defensive guard of all time. I know. <laughs> that guy's unbelievable on the right. defensive. I mean, he was deflecting everything. He was getting up into Durant. How many, like, behind the back? You know, sometimes it was just deflections out of bounds, but it was, like, bothering KD, you know, gu- guarding really well. How about the isolation on Devin Booker with the yeah. game on the line? Yeah. And he's blocking Devin Booker's shot. And, and throwing it off of him the as ref, he goes like, out what of bounds. Here? Yeah. Throwing it off of him out of bounds. Yeah. Like, these were elite defensive plays. And it's just, we all know who Russell Westbrook has been as a defender over the course of his career. But he also then will remind you on random nights, like, oh, those capabilities are in there. And, like, sure, I think the Clippers have a chance in this series if that's the defensive Russell Westbrook they're going to get. Like, can you just put him on ISO and against Devin Booker and he's like getting stops like that? But I'm skeptical that you're getting that for a full game seven game series and i'm also a little bit skeptical on how fresh Kawhi leonard will look over the course of a series they had had what six days off going in Kawhi leonard you know has shown over the course of this season even the last few uh well i guess since his injury if he has a lot of time off he looks good he looks fresh as the games start to pile up a little bit more he looks a little bit stiffer not as good fred do you think because you guys both covered russ extensively on a daily basis he was part of your life has the statute of limitations expired on the Kevin Durant motivation subplot here? Because there was a time not so long ago when we would all be here for the Kevin Durant versus Russell Westbrook playoff series, but things have changed since then. Kevin has ascended, Russ has declined, but they still have a, a whole lot of history together. Yeah, I, I think he stopped. He Look, he definitely cared a whole ton about that in like 2017. He cared so much about that in 2017, even though he said that he didn't care at all. Now, I mean, from afar, I think Law Murray might be a better person to ask about this or, or maybe even Yovan because he's been around him more the last couple of years than I have, obviously. But I, I would – I don't – it doesn't seem to me – and I'm still like in touch with people who are – who are, you know, close to Russ in Russ's circle. Like it, it doesn't seem to me like that's a thing that he cares about all too much. I think the main thing driving Russ now from, from everything that I'm told, and honestly from things that he says too, are just like proving everybody wrong about how it went down with the Lakers, proving everybody wrong about saying that he's finished. Uh, and, and I think that's really what's driving him because knowing Russ, that is, he's always got to prove something or someone wrong. That is that is his thing. That is where he gets the chip on his shoulder. Uh and I think that's the thing that's 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 kind of pushing him right now. I I think the the feelings not only with Russ but just like the Thunder and KD have thought over the years. I mean, that's time. That's also KD's now on his fourth jersey. Westbrook has gone Houston, Washington, Lakers, Clippers. Like I would agree with Fred. I don't think I, I think he lights up when he's facing KD, but it's more just like it's a stage. He can, you know, kind of put the talent on display against KD more than like, oh, I'm still burning that you left. In, yeah, in I think I think he would care more if he played like the Lakers in the playoffs. I think that would be a thing. I think he'd I think he'd probably want to show them. Here's here's what you're missing out on. But hey, look, we're we're trying to get into Russell Westbrook's head. I have spent years of my life trying to get into Russell Westbrook's head. I promise. <laughs> I'm sorry for it's not an easy game to play. So <laughs> someone good place right who knows now Russ is going to listen one. to this and tell Russ that we're saying all this, and Russ is going to be like, "How do you know what I'm thinking?" So I'm just going to say right now, I have no idea. I don't know what he's thinking. That man is an enigma. <laughs> you know what we should do next? We should all t- wonder what Kevin Durant is thinking. He loves. Oh, he does. Do that. He does. <laughs> 
he does. He loves that a lot. Let's slide into the DMs. Um, I would like to uh, again the another series that that uh, that we'll monitor later because it has been one sided so far is uh, the Nuggets taking care of business against Minnesota. Um, the Tim Conley reunion matchup. Uh, former I hope Nuggets. You got takes, Amy, because I don't got any deep takes. No, I don't. We're moving on. I'm just I'm giving results for any of the casuals who listen to the pod who casuals, didn't. Casuals, you hear this, right? Sorry, I'm throwing shade here. We we take all fans, casuals included. Um, Nuggets uh, won nothing. They were dominant. They looked like number one seed. Jamal Murray looked great. Um, you know, but we'll see if the T Wolves counter there. I do want your thoughts, and this will be the uh, the end of our fantastic discussion here. Um, Bucks Heat. So Giannis, it's looking good for him to play in Game Two. There was an optimistic report from Mike Budenholzer about his tailbone or back or whatever it was that that brutal fall he took on the Kevin Love charge attempt. Um, but beyond Giannis, like with that context in mind, how do you guys see the the danger level for this team? That uh, you know. Oh, by the way, I mentioned earlier that we did uh, the anonymous NBA player poll. And one of the questions was, which team other than your own has the best shot at winning the title? The Bucks were the overwhelming winner. I don't remember the percentage, but it was not even close. Um, for them to drop game one, got my attention. For them to drop it to Miami, uh, you know, if I'm in their shoes, man, I'm having some PTSD to the old bubble days because, you know, and I saw it up close, you know, what the Heat did to Giannis and the Bucks in the bubble was the type of stuff that, that almost nearly kind of derailed their championship path. They were in a bad way after that, man. Giannis recently told the Milwaukee journal Sentinel that around that time that, that he even considered walking away from the game. And I remember being in the bubble. I feel like that's a lie by Giannis. Can you imagine Giannis right now? Just like, what's he doing? Giannis does quits uh, the NBA. He he, he lost to the, he's a little, I don't, I don't see that one. (laughs) I hear you. He is a little tricky to nail down when it comes to if, if there's exaggerations happening, but, but there's truth in there because in the bubble, there was chatter, like without question about how like Giannis is not enjoying this experience, not just on the court, like the life experience in the bubble, the stress, the environment. Um, I don't that, think any of us were enjoying 2020 too much. Fair. And I hear you. I hear you, but it was, you know, they had their own little ecosystem. Um, but so, but, but I'll never forget sitting with Jimmy Butler in the bubble. And you guys remember the subplot about how Jimmy was going crazy and they couldn't stop Jimmy. And Giannis didn't guard him. And then this is back when we used to question Giannis on the regular because he hadn't made that final push, you know, to to be a championship player yet and show, you know, who he was on on the biggest stage. And it was a little curious that Giannis hadn't guarded Jimmy. And so um, in terms of the the mental side of the game, I do think the Heat, uh, ha- I don't think the Bucs are not afraid of the Heat, but the Heat have a lot of confidence against uh, against the Bucs. Now they lose Tyler Hero. That's a massive loss. Um, so overall, how are you seeing this series? Confidence I'll, only I'll takes quick. you so far, Sam. It only takes I, you so far. I'll go quick. I think Bucks in five or six. I think they're going to win this series. I don't like the Heat that much this season. I think that you mentioned the Tyler Hero injury. That's their score. You know, they have trouble scoring. Well, Tyler Hero's out now. Um, I think if you, as long as you guarantee me Giannis is back and playing, I think they win the series easily. One thing to add to what you're saying, which you're correct, the Heat was a house of horrors for them in the bubble. They swept the Heat the next series and then went on a season and then went on to win the title. So I kind of feel like they've slayed that dragon. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm taking Bucks in five or six. I mean, the Heat were one of the worst three point shooting teams in the league during the regular season. 
and and they are one of the worst three point shooting teams in the playoffs. And they shot fifteen to twenty five from three. That sixty percent. That that's not keeping up. Uh, they shot fifty nine percent on twos. Every single player who played in the game shot at least 50% from the field for Miami. Every single player who took a three for Miami shot at least 50% from three, except for Jimmy Butler, who was spectacular at 35 points and just went 0 for 1 from three. Uh, I just, I don't see it keeping up. Miami's biggest problem, Miami's two biggest problems are are that, number one, they don't really have enough ball creation, uh, which is really going to just kill them when they don't have Tyler Hero for the rest of the series. Like, Jimmy's going to have to do everything. Bam is going to have to open himself up as a passer even more. And when Bam Bam is a great passer, but when they run the offense through him, like through the high post and that kind of stuff, they just don't necessarily get great shots, as great as of a passer and, and facilitator as, as he is. Uh, Kyle Lowry can have huge games, but he can, like we saw in the play-in, but he can go absent. I just, I don't see where the creation is going to come from without without hero and the other thing that i think it will hurt them is that they they just don't have that many guys who are average or better on both sides of the ball like they have a lot of explo- exploitable players beyond bam and jimmy and that's why like someone like Caleb Martin is so important to them because he can guard at a solid level and he can shoot at a solid level. He's a good cutter. He's active, all those sorts of things. Like you're not going to play Caleb Martin off the floor. Miami, I think Milwaukee, whether they have Giannis or not, is going to take advantage of those flaws and will be fine. Uh, even if Giannis isn't good to go for the rest of the series. I'm not, I'm not all worried right. about it. I don't see them shooting like that again. I, just I like don't. it. Gentlemen, we don't have anybody who's average on this pod. Well done. As always, uh, I highly encourage the listeners who stuck with us to the end of the pod this week to check out that anonymous NBA player poll and a hearty thanks to our entire staff. Everybody worked their butts off to track down players. I think it was 108 total uh, at the risk of being braggadocious for the group. It's not easy to get that sort of insight from a quarter of the NBA, uh, and it's a pretty unique project that we hadn't done for a couple years, and I think everybody's proud of. So go check that out at theathletic.com. If you're not subscribed, come on, join us, join the party. Thank you for listening. We will be back next week. Thank you, gentlemen. Mm-hmm.